And then why don't we begin with a word of prayer too. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Heavenly Father, who is word and became word in the person of Jesus Christ, help us to engage with the word in scripture that lives and breathes and speaks to us. Help us to come to a wisdom and understanding and knowledge of all those ways that you have worked in the world, ways that are easy for us to know in ways that are hard for us to comprehend. Send your Holy Spirit to be with us, Lord. Amen. Well, we got through all the other... We did the first nine plagues, of course, and uh, they seem to... We kind of realized that there's not a, not a clear timeline, necessarily, um, but that, you know, obviously something has been going on that affects more often uh, or explicitly the... He, or excuse me, the Egyptians than does the Hebrews in many of the cases. So, but each time Pharaoh begins to relent and then asks Moses to cause the plague to subside and it subsides and Pharaoh's heart's, heart is hardened again. Um, and we sort of rediscovered that the one request was to do what? What has this all been about? Let my people go. I want to go and worship. Just to go worship. Yeah, to have that festival. Now, it's interesting that it is, I think it's a little ambiguous as to whether um, the Hebrews would take off. So Pharaoh certainly thinks they will. Um, it doesn't say in the text they will, but, you know, obviously if it, would be a, it would be a lot of trust to let them all go and take their, their wives and their sons and their daughters and all their livestock and everything they own out to the, out to the uh, wilderness to go worship. But um, as, as Moses and Aaron say, you know, well, they, we need all these things to do, to do our worship because we need to make sacrifice and we need all the, all the people there. Um, but Pharaoh will, will not relent. And that brings us to the final plague starting in the 11th chapter. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. Indeed, when he lets you go, he will drive you away. Tell the people that every man is to ask his neighbor, and every woman is to ask her neighbor, for objects of silver and gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, Moses himself was a man of great importance in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's officials, and in the sight of the people. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out through Egypt. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. For the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the female slave who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a loud cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, such, has never, such as has never been or will ever be again. But not a dog shall growl at any of the Israelites, not at people, not at animals, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then all these officials of yours shall come down to me and bow low to me, saying, Leave us, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And in hot anger, he left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you in order that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, 
you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of the raw or boiled in water. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a solemn assembly, and on the seventh day a solemn assembly. No work shall be done on those days. Only what everyone must eat, that alone may be prepared for you. You shall observe the festival of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your companies out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe this day throughout your generations as a perpetual ordinance. In the first month, from the evening of the fourteenth day until the evening of the twenty-first day, you shall eat unleavened bread. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, for whoever eats what is leavened shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whenever an alien or a native of the land, whether an alien or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your settlements you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, select lambs for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood in the basin. None of you shall go outside the door of your house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike down the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you down. You shall observe this rite as a perpetual ordinance for you and your children. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this observance. And when your children ask you, What do you mean by this observance? You shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he has passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. When he struck down the Egyptians, he spared our houses. And the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites went and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Um, so for, um, chapter 11 there, which is shorter and the first half of chapter 12, does anything, do you notice anything right off the bat? There's restrictions on the food that they eat. Okay. And they have to stay inside and put the blood over the doors. So one, there's there's food rules, and there's um, food rules that will, at least for this, there's two sort of rules going on. One is a food rule, and that's not entirely new. When we got through Genesis, they had some food rules in there. And it's not what we think of as keeping, um, you know, the fullness of like a kosher diet as we think of it now, because not all that's been established yet. But there were rules about um, when it was okay to eat meat or when it wasn't, you know, pre Pre-Noah, so they're sort of vegetarians. And then post-Noah, it seems like they're eating, they get to eat the meat. Um, so, you know, you have this, this idea of the food rule, but the food rule is tied specifically to festival. Um, and not just a one-off festival. 
This is a commandment for perpetual, every year observance of Passover, and it establishes a calendar, which um, hadn't previously been established. This is the this is the first month of all the months for you. This is this is how you will judge years from now on. Um, so that's established. So that's anything else. One of the things I noticed is uh, repetition. That was basically the same thing said three times in a row in slightly varying ways if you notice that. Um, chapter 11 deals a little bit more specifically with their interaction with Pharaoh and the hardening of his heart. But then we get this, you know, you will observe this perpetually. Then a couple paragraphs later, you will observe this perpetually. Um, you will not eat the, the leavened bread for these seven days or you'll be cut off from Israel. And then again later it says, you will not eat the leavened bread for seven days or you'll be cut off from, from Israel. Um, so the repetition could have two different um, sources in a sense or meanings. One is that repetition drives home a point, right? Whenever anything's repeated in scripture, don't forget this, this is important is one way to look at it. The other is um, you have the the people who go through these events and they come out and the first way that they uh, repeat these stories is by telling them. And you don't have just one, no one's just scribbling this down as they go, right? This is, this is written later based on those oral traditions that come down. Well, you can imagine you might have one set of, before these are written down, one set of the Israelites who have a certain way of telling this and they're very attached to that. And you have another set of the Israelites who are, have a certain way that they say this and are very attached to it. So what happens when they put together scripture sometimes? Um, they just sometimes stack them one, two. Like, we're not, okay, we're not going to throw out either of these accounts. So we'll take that one group from over here. This is the way you tell the, the lead up to the, the final plague. Here it is. The other group over here, this is the way you tell the lead up to the final plague. Here it is. Um, Scripture kind of starts out with this in Genesis, right? We have those two stories of creation that are very different. Um, and that actually this scholars think come from sort of those different pockets of generational storytelling. And they decided, well, just keep that, just put them together, one, two. So sometimes you get, when you hear in, um, it's more prevalent in the, in the Old Testament um, because of the time between when these were written down and sort of codified when they were and when they happened, you get this sort of repetition somewhat often where you'll find that. Here's a story, here's almost the exact same thing repeated again, probably different different lines of how the story was told and they just put them back to back. Yeah, well, when I went to the Passover uh, with friends, uh, they told the traditional story and then they would go through their own family telling things that had happened. And they would sometimes leave out. And Mrs. Rosenberg said she didn't go on as for everything that her husband did. She wasn't as good at it. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a really interesting point too because, and that's indicative of what's the most important holiday for the Jewish people. Passover. Um, the Day of Atonement is important. Yom Kippur is important. They have other important festivals. But Passover is Passover. There's a reason Jesus' death and resurrection happens when? Passover. Passover. It's, it's the big deal, big deal of all the events. Um, and the Jewish people in a lot of way, even to this day, obviously the story starts in Genesis with, with Abraham and and you know, Isaac and, and the, the lineage, and even before that with Adam and Eve. But Passover is still sort of the, it's it's the start of the calendar. It's the central story in a lot of ways for the Jewish people. So a family event incorporating the family stories, it's still the story about um, heading back to, getting back to the promised land um, next year in Jerusalem, as, they, as the saying sort of goes, the Passover events. So this becomes... This Exodus story is the focal point. And for the Jewish people, they've, because of their history, 
have gone back to the Exodus story again and again and again as sort of where they find their corporate identity in a lot of ways. Um, well, he had survived the Holocaust, and so he would say a lot about it, but um, his wife's family had the, um, you know, he was in the camps and this sort of stuff. Yeah. And so he would talk about that. But he really wouldn't talk about it. And he would tell people about it, but he wouldn't write it down for people, and then that's one of the right. things she said she wish she would have done because he was very good at recounting the things. Yeah. But yeah, that's obviously the, the great 20th century example. Um, and before we get go any further, just interestingly enough, within the African-American church, the Exodus story, as you can probably imagine, is a lot more um, cited and utilized um, than it is within sort of European white Christianity um, because of the leaving of slavery. So... The example of, you will hear Moses in the Exodus story, sort of just, it's it's much more common to be found within African-American churches as something that's regularly utilized and discussed. And the spiritual, let my people go. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah. The, the, the Exodus story becomes, for, for a lot of African-American Christians, the same, almost as it is for the Jewish people. Um, sort of that point of, uh, forming corporate identity. Let's pick up at chap or excuse me, verse twenty nine. Someone can pick up there. Well, I brought my own Bible from home, and it's very different. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, the Israelites went and did all that the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And by midnight, the Lord had struck down every firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh on his throne to the firstborn of the captive in the dungeon and the firstborn of cattle. Before night was over, Pharaoh rose, he and all his courtiers, and all the Egyptians, and a great cry of anguish went up, because not a house in Egypt was without its dead. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron while it was still night, and said, Up with you, be off, leave my people, you and your Israelites, go and worship the Lord as you ask. Take your sheep and cattle and go. Ask God's blessing on me also. The Egyptians urged on the people and hurried them out of the country or else, they said. We shall all be dead. The people picked up their dough before it and it was leaven. Wrapped their kneading troughs in their cloaks and slung them over their shoulders. Meanwhile, the Israelites had done as Moses had told them, asking the Egyptians for jewelry of silver and gold and for clothing, as the Lord had made the Egyptians well disposed toward them and let them have what they had asked. It's this way they plundered the Egyptians. Want to keep going on? Yeah. The Israelites set out from Ramesses on the way to Skodar, about 600,000 people on foot, not counting dependents. And with them, too, went a large company of every kind, the animals in the great numbers. Then page here, I got both flocks and herds. The dough they had brought with them from Egypt, they baked into unleavened cakes because there was no, no leaven. For they had been driven out of Egypt and allowed no time even to get food ready for themselves. The Israelites had been settled in Egypt for 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on this very day, all the tribes of the Lord came out of Egypt. This was a night of vigil as the Lord waited to bring them out of Egypt. It is the Lord's night. All the Israelites keep their vigil generation after generation. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the rules for the Passover. No foreigners may partake of it. 
any brought, brought slaves may eat it if you have circumcised it. No stranger or hired man may eat it. Each lamb must be eaten inside the one house, and you must not take any of the flesh outside the house. You must not break a single bone of it. The whole community of Israel shall keep this feast. If there are aliens living with you, and they are, are to keep the Passover to the Lord, every male of them must be circumcised, <clears throat> and then he can take part. He shall rank as native-born. No one who is uncircumcised may eat of it. The same law shall apply both to the native-born and to the alien who is living among you. The Israelites did all that the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on this very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt, mustered in their tribal hosts. So, um, interestingly, so why was the bread unleavened in this portion? They didn't have time to bring it. Well, they had, let's see here. They baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. It was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Um, which is, which is interesting. Um, so you have this kind of, it's almost a time issue because initially it was commanded of them that during this period they're not eating anything with leaven in it. And now it's kind of giving the first, it's kind of going back to the, the why. So the one sounds like a later command more for um, people living later. Get all the leaven out of your house. This is later. This is way after the Exodus. Don't eat the leaven bread. This is sort of the, the maybe the why it happened. Um, they just they didn't have time to grab it. Um, so it's kind of interesting how those two things, slight variation. It's, it seems like less a command in this sort of version of it, or this next telling of it. The leveling agent must have taken an awfully long time. Well. Because, you, I mean, with what we have now, you, you can let it go an hour and it's... And It'll rise up for and, you, yeah. Uh, then you can let it go uh, a smaller amount of time for the second level. Right. I think but, that back then, though, the, the leaven was probably like the sour mix that some people use today, you know. Yeah. You start it, and then you use a little of it to start the next batch, and the next uh -huh. batch, so you didn't get that. You didn't grab that bottle of yeah. the next batch in it. But, um, but yeah, just interesting that it's, it comes more as a command in that first several retellings, and now in this one, it's, it's much more pragmatic. Well, they didn't have time to grab it. They did have time to ever to follow through with the Lord's command that they uh, ask the Egyptians for gold and silver, which is a nice way to put it initially. But then it says that they plundered the... <laughs> so they went to their Egyptian neighbors to give us gold and silver, and then they took off with it, um, which they had to do. But it also establishes this, you know, it gives this, this is how long they were there. And it's it seems somewhat clear that there's it's starting to, to look like this is not, they're not coming back. And right. it's also clear here that they're not supposed to have non-Jews. Well, yes, for the Passover. For the Passover. In their group, in the Passover. But then they probably have non-Jews with them. But is that a... Is that an in-the-time telling of it, or is that a later one? That almost sounds, it sounds like it could be both. Um, it could be them telling them, you know, that's for them at that moment that the Passover is happening. It also sounds like there's provisions for, for when this is observed later. Um, I guess later it's okay. Um, well, with the... It's, I guess we don't know the exact... Because they're not saving the Jewish people. Well, but also we don't know the exact dynamics of it, but would they have had slaves? They were the slaves. 
So it, maybe maybe some of them did. I mean, they, they weren't... <sighs> Slavery was obviously somewhat different than what we think of it. There was still laborious kind of chattel slavery that occurred, but there was also, they lived in their own community. They had a hierarchy of some, probably had some money. So it was... Well, they had priests. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a little, it's a little different, but, but anyway. All right, let's pick up at chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jesuvites, the land he swore your, to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observation will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must continue this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. And the Lord can, brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on the oath to you and your forefathers. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a land every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with the mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When the Pharaoh stubbornly, stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offsprings of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Finish chapter. Did the first ch child then have, did they become priests? No. No, this is for all the firstborn. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Though that was shorter, for God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear on an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Ethel on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of the fire by night left its place in front of the people. So, get one more retelling right, <laughs> of some of the stuff we've heard already. Um, again, it's important, and again, probably, you know, you have these various versions. Um, so, let's tip back through here. One of the things um, that I think we've heard a couple times now is tell your, tell your sons when they ask. Um, and although the, a lot of the, a lot of the rituals of the, the modern day Seder, the Passover dinner, are much newer in the grand scheme of things. Um, there's that portion where kids ask questions and the, they kind of ask scripted questions and the, and the parents have scripted answers. That's one of the parts of the dinner. 
and that's reminiscent of the, you know, your children will ask this, well, you tell them this. Um, why is this night different than every other night? Um, it's kind of the first one. And they'll also ask them in Hebrew. Yeah, I think t typically, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, they are starting to, to be let out here. Um, the, the deaths in the Passover itself um, are very, doesn't, it, it goes by them very quickly. We've had that already. It just, it's a very sort of quick, um, quick entry here. Uh, you know, obviously we have the, the wail and the, and the crying of, of all the Egyptians throughout the land. Um, I think if we look at this, you know, uh, unemotionally, what sort of things does the, the death of the firstborn remind us of? Or, or let's start with why the firstborn? Firstborn son, I think. Is it just the yeah. son? Yeah. So why the firstborn son? That's the line of inheritance. Yeah, receive the blessing. Yeah, most, yeah. We, we kept finding when we went through Genesis that it often didn't work out that way, but that's the... That's the most important child. Um, and a lot of, you know, um, in, in ancient cultures, um, you kind of had your firstborn son and they were, I don't want to say everything went to them. And, I, and I, it, it was almost that your other ones were kind of backup. Right, because you know child mortality and all that. But you had your firstborn son; that was the one. You had these other kids, kind of as backups. But that's that's the one that gets the gets the blessing, or gets all the land, or gets you know. And has the responsibility. Has the responsibility. Take care of the rest of. And the particular, um, the pragmatic thing too is that the oldest children when they die, um, and again, this is, people were not cruel and cold-hearted, but you've invested the most into them. So if the firstborn child is already 13, 14, you've already fed, clothed, and, and put a lot of investment into that child. Um, you know, again, they, they did have, obviously, emotional attachment to children, just as contemporary people do. But there was this other level of economic family business that also was made it doubly sort of catastrophic. So that disrupted the whole... Everything. Everything. Everything, yeah. yeah yes, it disrupts everything. Um, so what else about... Um, what else about the, the Passover is, is familiar to us in themes or in... Well, when we get to Jesus, they go to the temple, and they're going there, and then they have the Passover meal. Um, but everybody was going to the temple. In other words, it was a time of worship. So there's Passover. There's de Jesus is dedicated. So young Jesus is is dedicated at the temple. Um, in in light well, of we don't we don't know necessarily that it's Passover. It's so many days after. Right. Right, but sacrifice in, in order in line with the ordinance that's made here would have been made for him. Um, are the are the Hebrews automatically spared of the Passover? What do you mean spared? Well, if God, God, so God goes through Egypt, and oh, God is going to kill if the they first. Don't, if they don't stay in their houses. Ah. So this is interesting too. Um, Stay with your some of, some of the other plagues just didn't hit Goshen where they lived, right? This one, the 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 spirit of the Lord's coming through, and and all the firstborn will die, unless you mark your houses, stay inside, don't eat the leavened bread, eat all the eat all the lamb. There are you have to be observant. If you don't if you don't mark your door, and you don't observe what the Lord has told you. 
it would the same fate would befall those families. So there's it's not just a matter of being God's people, then it's also a matter of of observing. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that is. I mean, obvious. You know, there's there's sort of a tie, although he's not the firstborn. You know, it's the uh, the testing of Abraham, just that idea of of the children of being willing to sacrifice his son, um, even though Ishmael was older, but Ishmael wasn't part of the part of the line. So there's there's bits of that there, um, but yeah, it's it's completely disruptive. Now from now, let's look at it from a you know, a less scholastic, more emotional. Why does God do this? I mean, it's an awful thing. I would say in somewhat, well, it does show his power, but uh, specifically to the Egyptians, it's going to weaken them so they can't go after the Jews as much as maybe they would have. It weakens them, yeah. I mean, that's definitely true. Um. Because, I mean, it looks like it happens today and tomorrow, but maybe it doesn't because of the Egyptian traditions of what they have to do to bury their dead. Um, yeah, but I, I... But it's still and just an awful... Time. It's an awful event. Oh, yeah. Um, well, he tried every other method, and they did, it didn't get their attention at I all. I think that's usually the answer people circle back to. Right, there were... Then we, then we run into that question of what does it mean when it keeps saying that God hardens Pharaoh's heart? He allows him to have second thoughts. Mm. That's an interesting way to think about it. Well, they, well God also gives us freedom of choice. So Pharaoh could have made a different choice. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's that's close to what Mary's saying. That's, that's both. That's an interesting way to look at it for both. I, uh, it's tough because it says there in the text that God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. And it seems it seems particularly cruel if God continues to keep hardening Pharaoh's heart, and then, you know, almost as if God puts things in order so that this will have to happen. Or does is it saying more that you know the the foreknowledge of God sort of being that well God knows this is this is going to be what it takes. I don't know. It's it remains a difficult one. Um, and I think it, at least a reminder that God is sometimes, oftentimes, hard for us to understand fully. You know, you said something about the fact that the, the first plagues do not happen throughout all of Egypt. They don't happen in the land of Goshen. Uh, Some of them, Delta. yeah. Uh, but uh, what happened in their tradition, they would work on building the tombs for the tarot pharaoh for years and years and years mm -hmm. and people would go and work there and be paid well, at least that's what they today yeah. they think uh, and so they would be living in uh, a different area and they might live in an area uh, and work in the tombs when they were not doing as much farming hmm. you know it's an extra pay job uh, we think of it in terms and so uh, they weren't necessarily with their families. They wouldn't take their families to go work. Hmm. And yeah. He said, I mean, that's what the archaeologists now would tell us. They hmm. found all these. Uh, well, they're, they're looking into the areas that supported the building of the tombs now. Well, before we pick up at 14, just two last things real quick. Um, they, they bring back that Apart from Genesis, Joseph has to be brought back to be buried in the land, so they take his bones. Remember, we had that question we were reading through Genesis, and uh, and this is the point here. We, I think we looked forward at this because we Googled it, but um, 
And the other thing being that there's, there seems to be more of a direct way out, but the Philistines are there. And so if the Hebrews, if God sends the Hebrews that way, they're going to have to fight the Philistines in battle. And what will the, what will they do instead? They're going to go to Egypt, which both foreshadows kind of the, um, you know, the, the difficulties they're going to have in the wilderness and, and that refrain from the people like, oh, can't we go back? And it reminds us like Egypt is, there are bad things about Egypt for them being there. But Egypt has food, and it has, you know, work, and it has some... It's not all bad. It's bad, but it's not all bad. And God's concerned that they'll just say, no, forget this, we're going back, um, which is not the plan. All right, picking up at 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pi-ha-hiroth, between... Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall camp opposite it, by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has closed in on them. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people, and they said, What have we done, letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready, and took his army with him. He took six hundred picked chariots, and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and pursued the Israelites, who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army, they overtook them, camped by the sea, by Pi-ha-hiroth, in front of Baal-zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no, no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out over your hand over the sea and divide it. The Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel, and so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers, and at the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us free from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord, stretched, the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn, 
The sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The, the waters returned and covered the chariots and chariot drivers. The entire army of the Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Um, it would be, I think it's often a mistake to, to try to over... Um, analyze scientifically some of the, the miracles in scripture. Um, this is, this is one where there's obviously something strange and peculiar that happened, that God causes to happen. I will say though, that the story itself is not, it's not entirely unbelievable in that water can shift. Um, and the forces of nature can make water shift. So when I was, um, in my first call, we were up on Lake Erie, and have either of you ever lived on the Great Lakes? Yep. They are truly strange, and to some extent, scientists still don't know how they work. There will be times when the, the water in the lake will just shift, and they can't really tell where it goes because it doesn't necessarily change the depth at measurable ways in other positions in the lake. Um, so we were at a portion of the lake where sometimes it would be at its normal sort of seashore level. And then other times it would just recess out 20 feet. The, it's like the whole lake would move and you just have land there then. Um, now, whether that was the moon, gravity, wind, it, it was all these sorts of factors and it would be just bizarre to see. Um, but obviously you get then the lakes here by the seashore, it moves out that way. What are you left with? You're left with a sandbar that you can move on. Sandbar slash mud, too, right? I mean, you had ground that was water cover and waterlogged. So the Israelites are going out on foot. How are the Egyptians pursuing them? Oh, they're, yeah, oh, they're in vehicles. They're in vehicles. <laughs> Which sink and get... And so, you know, the water shifts. And, and sometimes, like, if it is a sandbar... You'd have the lake shift one way. You might still have a pocket of water over here and the rest of the lake over here. Um, it's not the big Charlton Heston wall, but it is water that parts and you get this sort of land bridge that comes out of nowhere. Well, I wouldn't want to drive my car in it, but you could probably walk through it slowly with being oh, yeah. able to move on the ground. Um, this is, I think it's more magnificent probably. It says there's walls of water, but... This is kind of what happens. So the, the Israelites start going, the sea parts, the wind drives it. The Israelites start walking across with themselves and all their people and all their cattle, which is not a fast way to go. The Egyptians a little bit behind them start pursuing them. Their wheels start to get clogged. I mean, it says that right there in the, the scripture. They, they start to get clogged up and uh, they, they want to turn back. They're stuck. Israelites get to the other side extend your hand and extend your staff again, the water comes back in. And now what was, you know, what was dry land is now 10 feet underwater um, and overtakes all the, all the horses and all the, all the chariots and all that. So it is, it is a miracle, but it's also actually a miracle that is in some ways we could still see how it could happen. It's a little bit different than walking on water, right? It's something that you can actually sort of visualize and comprehend a little bit easier as opposed to just a miracle that defies sort of any explanation. Um, and they're free. <laughs> so I just, I thought that was so interesting having been on the, having been on the Great Lakes and, and seeing them just kind of move like that. Uh, you just wake up one day and they'd be at a completely different um, position than they were on the shore the night before. It's become clear now that, um, that they're gone. And you kind of get the feeling that it goes back and forth once or twice. When Pharaoh sends them out 
and when the Egyptians drive them out, Pharaoh says, kind of go worship your God, but the Egyptians basically say, like, get, get out of here, go. So it seems like there's that shift between they're just going out to worship and um, the Egyptians have kind of released them. And that's when Pharaoh's, when his heart's hardened for the last time and he's talking with his officials and, and his officers, you know, they, they say, why have we released them from our service? They're not. So it's clear at that point they're not coming back. Um, even though God didn't want to send the, the Hebrews out into the, into the path of the Philistines because he thought war would turn them back, they get out a little bit. They see Pharaoh's army, and what do they say to Moses? Let's go back. Let's get, why did you bring us out here? <laughs> weren't there, what, there weren't graves in Egypt? Now we're just going to die out here in the wilderness? So that has already begun. Um, but at least for a, a short period of time, um, you think the rest of the plagues would have convinced them too. But they get to see Moses firsthand doing this, and it says they not only begin to trust in the Lord, they begin to trust in his servant, Moses. So um, there's kind of this, Moses is now, he was already in a lot of ways because of his appointment by God, but now he is the clear, clear leader of, of the Israelites. It only lasts a short time though. The res- well, the, the unquestioning respect is only going to last a short time. His position as leader though stays pretty, pretty firm. Um, but as we'll find out over the next couple of weeks, Part of the uh, part of what shakes the people is Moses needs to disappear up up mountains every so often, and that's when they that's when hijinks will happen. All right, so we got through the final plague. The Israelites have made it to the other side of the water, and we'll pick up there next week. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Good and gracious heavenly Father, we give you thanks for opening your Word to us. Inspire us continually by the blessings that we find in Scripture so that we might be a blessing to those that we encounter with the good news of your grace and love. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.